This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together ten disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those ten tracks was hosted by Final Command Ministries. Here's audio content from Final Command and their track called Viral Disciple-Making Movements. Well, let's get going. I want to... I've got the best object lesson um, that that you can have because um, Logan is here, and I said, "Hey, it, it was." Uh, there's an incredible, weird story as to why he's uh, why we're connected, and then has to do with this guy Scott, who I just met today, but we've spoken on the phone. God's at work. There's a crazy story behind that. Had no idea they were coming to this conference. I don't know that you guys knew that I was coming. That I was going to be here. But one of the other object lessons is this guy right here in front of me. He's 18 year old Price. And so I uh, want to get an opportunity for you guys to engage and ask questions. Uh, I'm going to try to talk a little bit right here to kind of get us going. And then I've either underprepared or overprepared. I haven't figured this out because I really want to let the conversation be driven by the group, really. And so uh, this may not be so much a presentation as it is a conversation. And um, that's kind of what I do. I've been... Um, High school teacher for 17 years in the public school system, taught British lit, uh, called to the ministry. I know some of you are like, what? Can, what? What are you doing up there? Kill him. Um, and one of the things that I, the reason is I entered into ministry really through the high, through, intentionally on purpose as a high school teacher. Uh, this is my home church. I was their first missions pastor and I was their first college pastor here. Uh, so I had, uh, he's a lawyer now. He's 27. He's just taken the bar. Yeah, he's 27, and he said, Baines, you taught me when I was I just was a normal member here. I was teaching the uh, senior guys, and he says, man, you you, taught, you went to school with us, then you went to college with us when you were college pastor, and now I do leadership development. I actually work for Final Command, but I also do leadership consulting with companies, and he said, you followed us out into the marketplace. And I'm like, that's right, baby, to the, to the grave. That's where we're going, right there, all the way. So um, I wanted to... Uh, um, kind of set up. I want to push through this pretty quickly, but um, I want to set it up some um, <clears throat> just a little. I don't want to go too much because you've already sat through the first forum, but I do want to just kind of walk through a little bit here. So if you can see this, I want to kind of do it this way. Can you guys even remotely see this? <clears throat> let me let me start out with this. Is that um, thanks thanks here. The story, um, the story throughout all of human history, God's asked us to do two things. One is to believe who he says he is, that he sent his son, sinless, right? We know, we know this story, uh, that he provided a written revelation of who he is. It is his authority and, um, and it's about his character through the scriptures. And that he made a provision uh, for sin for our benefit, right? Uh, so that he can atone for our sins and that we can have a way to be adopted 
and we can call him Father, right? The other thing that he said to do was this. Let's see if this will work. Oh, fantastic. Um, so that's, he said to do two things, and there's a command, right? So the command is that Jesus gave a final command, and hence final command ministries. Um, and that was, you can guess, was to go make disciples, right? Um, not go make evangelists, not go make preachers, not go make church planters or churches. It was very particular in a very particular word. Go make disciples. And that is our main calling. It is above motherhood, husband, wife, father, Go make disciples. You're first a disciple maker to your spouse. You're first a disciple maker to your children, right? And that is our supreme, our overarching calling. You even heard that today echoed in the forum. And then he said do something else, which was keep my commandments. If you what? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so uh, going back to Deuteronomy 6, 5, right, the Shema, um, love the Lord with all your heart. So he's very clear. There's not any ambiguity. Then Jesus repeats that several times in the Gospels. Okay. And then, but there's a problem. And so the problem today, and I want to just set it up so that we can talk about millennials. This is going to have an end to it there. The problem is, is though we've had some past successes in disciple making, I think, and in missions, Today's disciple making, and the reason that we're here, we're all frustrated. We're all frustrated. There's something that we know inside that there's a frustration. That's why we come together. That something's not right. Something is stuck in the missions enterprise and in the disciple making enterprise. I actually do not draw a distinction in those two. Missions equals disciple making. Disciple making is missions. It's one thing. Uh, when we try to deconstruct and compartmentalize, which is probably, I, I don't want to kind of go off on the state of the church because we all could, but uh, that might slip up every now and then. Um, so here's the problems that we see. Um, it's stuck. Well, how so? Well, it takes too long. It just takes too long. What we've done in the past is, you know, we go to church. Oh, you become a believer, come to church. Um, We'll slow you down. I'm sorry. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be slightly jaded. I'm not jaded. I love the church. I love the local church. It's all about the local church. But what we do is we, we come to church, and then, we, then we've got to sit in for years, and, and then we're going to maybe go to Bible. You've heard this even in the forum, right? Then we're going to, go to Bible college, and then after that seminary, then we're going to maybe 20 years later, we're going to reach out to our neighbor type of a thing, right? Something is not right. It takes too long. There are 7.4 billion people. And we have no hope if we immediately today we multiply every church and every pastor by 1,000. We have no hope whatsoever to even remotely reaching the people on earth. But that's not even our main. It's not a logistics thing that we're after right here. Cost too much. Time, education, training. Go write a product. Go sell the product. Go read the product. Go train in the product. It just it costs too much. And if you think about it, we have no hope if we're, I mean, we're the wealthiest country on the planet Earth, right? So, and it even costs too much for us. But it is out of reach now, the question for the, remain, for the remaining part of the world. I just found out the other day that we are, our economy is 16 times 
the economy of Russia. That is pretty impressive, right? But Africa has no hope. India has no hope. Third world countries have no hope. Developing countries have no hope. It costs too much. <clears throat> and then stops too short. We have done a great job of making converts, and we've reaped the benefits of making converts and not disciples, right? And, and something is broken. Something's broken. And then it makes too few disciples in the end. You spend all this time, energy, cost, and this is what we get? So something is not right in the state of Denmark. That's a little British lit for you. All right. So that's not where we want to go. So let's see if I can get us to where we want to go. Um, I believe that a whole new era is unfolding. There's a lot of history, first era, second era, third era, fourth era, new era. Isaiah 43:19. I love this because I can see it on the horizon. If I had one thing, if I if you said Gordon, what is your role in all this? It is to equip this generation. Many of you out here, it is to equip you. I mean, I am so excited. It is not my generation that is going to reach it. It is that generation. You are it is that generation who's going to reach this world. You have all you're getting, and God has just plopped down, just like He does. He takes something so in, incredibly simple, and He says, "Huh, the foolishness of uh, the the wisdom of God is the foolishness of man." Get you some of this. It's called a discovery Bible study. So simple, so simple, and God's doing profound things through it around the world. So, I'm doing something new. It now springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that is what our God does, right? That is what he does. Where there is no way, I make a way. He's the impro- he is the, uh, what is it? The impossibility specialist. Says Shadonke, last name is even stranger, Johnson, from Sierra Leone. He is the impossibility specialist. <clears throat> so it revolves around ordinary people. Not trained clergy. It is ordinary people. Ordinary people. That's, that, that is a key principle. If the world is going to be reached, ordinary people. And that's what we believe at Final Command. That is a key core value. Ordinary people. We don't like, I'm sorry, that probably insulted a lot of people and insulted me at first. <clears throat> We've come to call them the unlikelies. And then I started realizing that everybody in the Bible was an unlikely. I'm like, yeah, I want to be an unlikely. Before, I wanted to be, God, you need me. I have some skills to offer you. I got some things. You need me, right? Uh, that is not how God works, right? Moses, I don't speak very well. Great. You're the man. It's not your brother Aaron right now. It's you, right? It's the woman at the well. My goodness. All right. <clears throat> so... But if this is, if we're going to reach the world, this something has to be quick. It has to be natural. has to be accurate. My goodness, it has to be inexpensive. Right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Except this. <laughs> except this. And in some ways, it's free. And in some ways, it came at the greatest cost. Right? We understand what we're talking about.
<clears throat> so quick, natural, accurate, and expensive. I can we can give you all this. So if you don't get something, don't worry. We we can sell it. And it has to be done by somebody who's the better teacher, the better professor, the better theologian, the better expositor, the better metaphor giver, and it's the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be authoring. The Holy Spirit in this process is teaching. And the Holy Spirit is leading. The Holy Spirit doesn't make a mistake, right? He interprets and He sends forth and He gets it right. But He's using man as His agent. So essentially what we're doing is we're returning to the original principles of the first century. Sometimes when we go, gosh, if they only had technology back then, we could have, they could have done so much more. And God's going, oh, foolishness of man is the wisdom of God, right? So, what, let's see if I can go back to this. I might not be able to. I can only tell you, sorry, I can only tell you what I've seen. And I can tell you a few stories. And so it's this generation. <clears throat> Three years ago, I was introduced by this guy in a room right across the hallway, uh, room 226. And on a Sunday night, he showed me this thing called the Discovery Bible Study. I've sold Shakespeare in the classroom. I've sold the gospel on college campuses. I work with really smart, super great, and by the way, intelligence is a dime a dozen. Uh, healthy organizations are not. Health always trumps smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. I work with these people in leadership development and stuff, super smart, and yet sometimes they don't do the basics right. But I was really interested. I've watched communication and every body that we all know we can throw out our greatest communicators i've watched them looked at them you know and we did this little thing in this room for the first hour and i went oh my well that's kind of interesting so i'm gonna try this on my five guys or four guys three 23 year old john david 23 year old john mcglathery 23 year old daniel meadows 23 year old matthew franklin and me we're in romans too i learned this on a sunday night on wednesday i go and do this they loved it I'm like, wow, that was Romans 2, and they liked it. I said, John McGlathery, could you do this next week? And he said, yeah, I can do it, yeah. So two things stuck out of my mind. One, they loved it. Two, John remembered it. That was cool. Quick, natural, accurate, inexpensive. He was going to do it next week. Sunday morning, I go in, not this room, the room right through this wall right here. We happen to be in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4. I walk in, I'm like, okay, Lord, could this happen in Nehemiah? And it was like Gideon throwing out the fleece. So I walked in, read Nehemiah 1. It was pretty short. Talked over Nehemiah 2. I was doing this for maybe about three minutes, right? Nehemiah 3 is a catalog listing of a lot of hard names working on this gate, that gate, the dung gate. And I was weird because I don't understand why the perfumer wasn't working on the dung gate. That would be like a great match in Nehemiah. <clears throat> and catalog this thing. And I said, all right, here's how you do this thing called the Discovery Bible Study. We're in a room just like this, packed, 
three or four, three or four, three or four, three or four, three or four. Here's this process, da, 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 discover. Don't do it exactly like it's prescribed. Don't change, alter it, do it. And what they discovered that Sunday in Nehemiah floored me. I made a mistake that day. I didn't write it down. Never have I made that mistake since. This thing has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of what people have discovered. Ordinary people. Price, Logan, the lot of you. You know, you're ordinary people. You want to be ordinary people. You you want to fall on your knees and go, God, I am ordinary, right? Um, The coolest thing. We could never, as much as a good teacher as I thought I was, right? I'm not talking about spending three hours preparing on a weekend. I'm talking about preparing six hours, right? Teaching the stars down, engaging, blah, blah, blah. Oh, they love my class, right? And this thing eclipsed me by a long shot. I I couldn't, there's, and so I realized at the end of that day, we can never go back. So one, they discovered something about God. I taught them nothing. Two, I don't know whether it's that Sunday or whether it's the next Sunday or the next, but I heard God say this. <clears throat> uh, I, I, here's my fear, right? God, what do I do? Because my identity is a teacher. My identity is the leader of this group. If they don't need me, what do I do? And that's the great threat for the Discovery Bible study if you're territorial. And we are. Don't kid yourself if you don't think that you are holding on to something. But I remember, again, I don't know if it's that Sunday or the next Sunday, I just remember God kind of nudging me and saying, Gordon, if you will let go, I will give you more. I had no idea what that meant. 2013. But a year from then, when Final Command gave me a call and said, hey, we think that God is working through you, and one of the principles we see is that where God's at work, we want to walk into that space. And so, will you consider coming on board? Of course, I was I was off staff at the time. I'm doing leadership development. I was frustrated. I could hardly focus on my work because I kept going to people that I knew and sharing this and sharing this and sharing this and sharing this. And the beginning of some huge life change started to happen. I started seeing young adults being transformed like I had never seen. By the way, the last 27 years of my life, every Sunday, this is where I've been. I've been at church camp. I've been teaching on Sunday morning or I've been on a vacation. But those are the only three places I've ever been on a Sunday morning. I don't even think I've been sick on a Sunday morning. So I started seeing massive life change. Massive life change. And one of the guys said to me, why did I not know about this? And I went, it wasn't, he wasn't talking about the discovery process. He was talking about obedience. And so here's a great statement. Price and I were going, we just got a phone call from a former student that I had known in 1996. He said, hey, G. Baines, do you mind, will you come and lead our high school stuff? And I thought, you know, I don't do high school stuff anymore. You know, I don't And God just said, hey, buddy, yoo-hoo, influence here. Called Jared back, called Jared back. And I said, Jared, 
And I was like, all right, God, give me just a little something to make sure that I need to walk walk this way. And he said, yeah. I said, well, what's your thing? He goes, well, it's about tribe. It's about community. It's about a better community. And I went, okay, Lord. You know, I'm sitting, if he'd seen me, he'd go, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm talking to the Lord going, you're telling me to do this. So did this for 120 students. On our way down, I said, you know, Price, I want you to be a part of that. And in fact, Price, I want you to be a part of this thing. And I want you to tell part of your story because there's a story of discipling here. And it's not to say praise my name or praise Price's name. It's just what we see over and over and over and over again. And I want you to hear it from the millennial, right? And I want you to ask him any question or Logan or anybody else uh, about this. Here's what we did. We went down and on our way down, there was a marquee on a little country church in East Tennessee we went, by the way, have you been down the Okoe? Have you all been at whitewater rafting or something like that? I'm going to use that analogy in just a moment here. Here's what the little country church said, and I thought, this is going to get some mileage. And some of you probably heard it before. Man doesn't need more truth. He needs to obey the truth he knows. And to me, I would say that is the problem in my own heart. That is the main problem in your heart today. That is the culture that we uh, wade in in our churches is that we know truth. We just don't obey truth. Francis Chan said recently, and he's not, this is not new with him either, but he said, you know, the scariest thing for him, his, his professor told him this in seminary, he said, the scariest thing that you can do is start reading the Bible and doing nothing. You've just practiced disobedience and you've just, you've just conformed to the patterns of this world, not rather than being transformed. And so he says that's the most dangerous thing our hearts can do is to get in a pattern of what? Disobeying. And so the Discovery Bible study absolutely punches that right in the face. And one of two things are going to happen if you do discovery. And these one or two things will happen. People will start actually taking small steps of obedience. And God, in His mercy, in His grace, and in His might, will start actually saying, I'm going to reward that. Let me say, the when I, I'm a little worried about that. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. The word reward, uh, I am not in any form or fashion 
remotely connecting that with some sort of prosperity gospel. Please hear that now. I would just kind of punt that right out of the room. Uh, some of you know exactly what you're saying. Means you're being kind. Um, but so the deal is, is that our, our problems, we, we have a problem with, we just learn to be disobedient. So what I did start seeing in this room was that students started becoming obedient, young adults in their 20s. And they started being transformed. So obedience happened. All of a sudden, it's like, my goodness, my life is being transformed. I'm actually, after obedience, I'm experiencing God. When we open up God's Word, it's hot breath coming up off the pages, brushing up against my cheek. And I'm actually not learning a story, some historical thing about... I'm not learning a fact about Jesus. I am actually hearing from Jesus when I open His Word. And I am... He's telling me to do things. And then I do things... And then I become obedient, and then God weighs in on that. He meets me right there. He does something unbelievable in that. The smallest little things, you know. We would have people to do things like this. We'd have people to say, you know, I really don't have a dis- I really don't have an obedience thing that I'm going to do this week, but I am going to pray that maybe God would just give me an opportunity to share what I've just da da da, you know. And they'll come back and go, you would not believe what happened this week. Now that's that would be weird. I mean, I'm like, okay. If you've never experienced this, you know, you'd go, okay, you're like the traveling evangelist has all these fantastic stories and stuff. I would be right where you are, except I've just experienced it. And that's the only thing I can tell you is that I've, I've been there, I've seen it, and I want, I'm one blind beggar saying to other blind beggars, let me just tell you where the food is and you, you go see for yourself. You do this thing for yourself. You taste and see. And so we say the discovery process is just like a cake. I could come in here with a recipe, and I'm not going to talk really much more about the discovery Bible study because this is not what we do. There's a training. You need to experience it first. But it would be like someone coming in with a recipe saying, well, here's how you make this cake. And I've gotten in trouble here with the women at Long Hall. I did a training with this, about 70 women. And I said, well, you take a cup of salt, da, 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 and they started hissing at me, throwing things at me on stage. You've never made a cake. Get off here. You don't know what you're talking about. That's true. I've never made a cake. But anyway, they, they, apparently you have some salt in there. I don't know how much it is, but some. And you've got some flour, and then you've got some chocolate, and then you've got some sugar, I hope, and then you've got some, what else? Eggs. Thank you. All right. There. Thank you. And uh, what? And butter and vanilla. Butter for sure, right? Butter makes everything better. And 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 you taste this cake. And you go, man, that is awesome. And then you go, can I have the recipe? So I never give the recipe because that's boring. That sounds like everything. If I had been given, if, if Terry had said, Gordon, I've got this thing. You've got to see it. It's unbelievable. Here it is on my email. Click, click, click. I would have done. I, my finger could not have gotten to the delete button quickly enough to go, well, that is absurd. That is so simplistic. That is not complicated, sophisticated enough. Oh, or naturally, I already do that, you know, and, we, I, and I don't. And you don't either. And I'm telling you, this little recipe, and there's a reason for it, it has really nothing to do with discovery, Bible study. What it does is it has to do with 100% biblical discipleship authored by Jesus. And that's all it is. And it's prepackaged. Nine steps, 17 words. Nine steps, 17 words. And that's why... 
there's a 10-year-old who did it in that room two Sunday nights ago, a 10-year-old who did it in that room. And we've had at Long Hollow two years ago, we have about a 1,000 kids in VBS in third through fifth grade, and they did it. Um, so all I can tell you, I have some incredible stories of life change. But let me ask, let me, let's get to the millennials. So why is it happening with them, right? Right? Why? Why is it resonating with them? And I'm going to let, well, I'm just going to let, come up, Price, let, meet the group. I want you here, sit right here. Or stand right here, you don't have to sit. All right, all right so this is Price. Tell them quickly how we met. I've known you for not even, uh, what, a year and a half? Almost two years. Almost two years now. Okay. So you're, tell them where you are in the stage of life, how we met, and then we'll go. Yeah, so I was a junior um, in high school. It's kind of a funny story, but a uh, cool guy thing. You'll see that. But I was a junior in high school. Um, it was February. It was cold. And so that day I was hanging out with my buddies from church, and my car was in the shop. And so I was like, hey, man, just drop me off here. You know, we, were, we had just gone to Chick-fil-A. Um, so we dropped me off at this place to get my car. And the place, it was actually closed. And so I was like, all right, I'll have a car now. So he left, and so I walked to this Chick-fil-A that I was at about a mile down the road. Uh, I was going to ride home with uh, one of the people that worked there. I was going to get her just to take me home. And so I've got my Bible with me. I'm you know, depressed. I'm not really depressed, but I'm mad at my car, you know, whatever. And I had to walk a mile in the freezing cold of February. So I go to the farthest corner of Chick-fil-A I can find. I just kind of sit there hoping no one's going to bother me. Uh, start opening my Bible, just kind of reading it. Just kind of, oh, why is this happening, God? Like, I need, really need my car. Blah, blah, just pouting, pouting, pouting. Um, so Gordon comes and sits, lo and behold, to the table right next to me. I'm like, gosh, I just kind of want to be alone. And uh, so I'm reading my Bible, looking out the window, reading my Bible, looking out the window, looking around. He says, hey what do you know about that book right there? I was like, oh my gosh, this is some atheist guy about to challenge my faith. (laughs) This is is not the day for this to happen. Wait, 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 pause. Here's what I'm thinking. Who is this guy? Why is he out of school? And he keeps pondering. He looks down like, is this his last moments on earth? Does he not know? Is he searching for life's, you know, deepest meaning here? I'm vetting him. He's vetting me, you know, so... But uh, anyways, yes, yeah, so we made just kind of a common ground connection um, of our faith. And that that night, that night, so here he is, that night, we did a DBS um, on like four napkins. I still actually have the napkins with me, uh, Gordon, and the other girl that I was riding home with. And kind of since then, um, I kind of had discipled two guys at the time, and they kind of always saw me as the, you know, quote-unquote theologian, you know, kind of above them in a sense. And so... Like, okay, you know, I was kind of skeptical of the DBS. I was like, this is just probably some, you know, other thing to study the Bible. Not really important. But I, I started doing the DBS with them. I saw, man, this is a powerful thing. One, because it was so simple. It didn't involve any preparation. And two, it kind of put us on the same level. It took me from here, and then from there we put it on the same level. Simply because it's about this passage. What do you see, you know, in this passage? Um, and ultimately the Holy Spirit reveals things to them. And they felt empowered by this DBS. They felt like these new believers could go out and do this um, with people in school and things like that, and that's what they did. And I've done this in school where I've seen people who have never read a Bible verse before discover that Jesus is God in the flesh. If that, if that doesn't blow your mind, then I don't really know what would. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. I guess. So I'm thinking that, Logan, you want to weigh in on anything? Have you been doing this? 
Okay, all right. So let me tell you just a cool God thing. Earlier, you're talking about Africa. So in May, I'm at home. I get a text message. It says, are you Baines? First of all, I go by G. Mr. Baines is, I'm like, oh, you're a former student. G or G Baines? Baines. I'm like, hmm, what is this? So an hour later, I'm like, ah, yes, this is Baines. Um, who is this? This, uh, do you know anything about the DBS? And I said, yes, I've just finished a training yesterday. Who are you? Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a church planter in northern Ontario. Um, I have to walk to get internet. He didn't have cell. I mean, he's 16 hours north of, uh, I mean, he's way up there. <clears throat> um, we had, a, so he says, yes, I, I'm a church planter. I'm starting a church in, the, I don't even know the name of the place anymore. But he says, um, I've been told if I'm going to start a church, my Ethiopian friend said, I have to use the Discovery Bible Study. And I said, well, you do. And I said, Ethiopia. And then lo and behold, we're, we're in Africa doing all this sort of stuff. Things are happening in Africa. Thousands of churches are being planted. Thousands of churches are being planted in the Middle East, in the northern parts of uh, India, where you and I could not go at all. Uh, there are places in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, where we would be shot. They would just do us the courtesy of boarding the plane going, let me go ahead while you're comfortably seated and kill you now. Because rather than take, you know, we, we would not be able to go there. But the discovery process through persons of peace are happening wildly. So the question is, would it, could it ever happen here? Could it? And so I end up going to New York City. Um, I, I This is before I'm even on staff with Final Command. I'm compelled. I have never understood. I always felt guilty. Evangelists would come, and, and we are a super evangelical church, right? We've got the best of the people coming in here, and da-da-da. And I always thought, man, that's great, but I, I don't have... I wish I had that spirit. I wish I had that gifting. And, um, cause they would tell the most fantastic stories. And I thought, man, their life, they're just like Paul. I am compelled. And I'm telling you, when God gave me the opportunity to use the Discovery Bible study, that's the first time in my whole life that I thought, I have a seat at the table. Big time. Now, I've been told I have a seat at the table. Oh, everybody is. Well, you can do a little of this. You can do that. You've all been told that. But I knew I had a seat at the table. And I knew everybody like me had a seat at the table through the discovery process. Because I didn't have to be the theologian. I didn't have to be the seminarian. Although, I've read a ton of books, right? But that's, man, the discovery process, it is so simple. And it works. So here's some reasons I think the discovery process. This is why why it works. One is Jesus used it. I want to ask, Robert Coleman's going to be here, and I know what he teaches a lot, and I really want to try to sequester him and ask him this one question, because in my mind, I, this has not been settled. There may be someone in here who knows this. But as I've looked, I think the pre- overwhelming preponderance of engagement that Jesus does has been in a small group and not to the masses. I can only think, and maybe you know more, I can only think of three times when he preached to the large group. And in fact, even at the Sermon on the Mount, it says that he withdrew his disciples up. So it wasn't the masses, right? The 5,000, the 3,000, talk to me, 46 times. 
Well, here's just something interesting. In doing that, um, this is what I've learned, is that Jesus himself actually uses discovery, and he does that in Luke 10, 25 through 37, in a powerful way. I mean, it's so evident. But then I started thinking, wait, wait, wait. Every time he tells a parable, it is for the group, the people to discover the truth therein. And only one time do I find that he says, hey, let me break it down for you. And that was the sower and the seed. Other than that, in fact, other than that, he doesn't, he's like, you're on your own to discover the truth in, in this. So I started thinking a, a few things, about a couple of things. One is, it is in our DNA to want and to de- desire discovery. So it's a no-brainer. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, God, discovery. This this is why you're using this simple little process, right? Because it's in our God DNA that you planted. Then I started realizing that, in fact, even Jesus in John, just hours before he's to be crucified, he starts speaking to them differently. And I, I'm going to paraphrase this, but it's not too far off. The disciples go, oh, thank goodness. He is speaking plainly to us and not in figurative language. They're like, just no more of this. We're exhausted. you know. And he's like speaking plainly, right? So I've noticed that we're built for discovery. God uses, Jesus uses discovery himself. And then you can help me with this, Price, but is this... Um, one is it empowers anyone to use it. Anyone. A 10-year-old boy. A 17-year-old. And we're going to tell a cool story. So discovery. That So I'm thinking, okay, Jesus used discovery. We use that. It's in our DNA. Two, the other reason is that when I begin to obey in this process, something happens that I've never, some of us have never experienced before. And a lot of students who've grown up in church. By the way, the group that I'm talking about, a lot of those were had grown up as sons and daughters of deacons in the church, right? They've been to everything. And they were being radically transformed. And so what happens is obedience leads to transformation. Why? Because I actually experience God. So I think experiencing Him in a way that we've never experienced Him before... There's two other parts. Obedience leads to transformation. And when I am transformed, I am passionate. In fact, I'm going to trade out my sin life for this thing. It's better than the addiction. It's better than my boyfriend, girlfriend. It's better than fill in the blank. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is real. Like, God is real here. Obedience, transformation, develops passion and then one other thing that's why he's here that's why I'm here it leads to being compelled and I thought "Ah, I'm just like that evangelist on the stage I'm compelled I can't help but to go and tell other people and I'm not trying to sell them anything I'm just trying to sit alongside of them in the journey and I'm not trying to present the gospel I'm walking with them in a conversation about who Jesus is the gospel is not a presentation it is a conversation and it's a long conversation 
And sometimes the conversation began way before you and I got in on that conversation, right? But it's not a presentation. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a turn. It's a conversation. And it's so amazing. So I've seen millennials. They love it because they're empowered. They've never been empowered before. They never see any hope for it. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can do this. In fact, I will do this. What's, can you tell me your name? Yeah. So I sat in on the session before Matt was in here. Do you mind if I just use you as an illustration real quick? Matt was somewhat, he, Terry was asking, why are you here? And Matt said, well, hey, I'm a fairly new believer. And the cool thing about that is, is that new believers will have unbelievable, they will have more impact on reaching the lost than you and I will. We're in the bubble. We're, we're, we're trying to break out of the, the church bubble, you know, and be, be out in the world again, you know, that type of thing. Uh, that, that is what we're caught, and that frustrates us sometimes because we, honestly, we don't know the lost, right? We just know, you know, through another person that you might know, hey, I, I'm waving at a lost person, but I don't really know them, right? And, um, and so, Matt, there's incredible hope for you in this process to do far more than most of us in the room, to be honest with you. I forget, John, how do we say that, that an un, how do we say it, Terry, an untrained, an untrained insider is always more effective than the most highly trained outsider. Yeah. We're a lot of, at, this conference could be called the, the outsiders. As weird as that is, though we're the insiders, in some ways in the world we're the outsiders because we can't go back into the lost world like we could. But the a most amazing thing is the untrained insider. They, when we do this discovery process, sometimes we say, who will you share this with? And they, they're telling us even before we get to the question, like, oh, I can't wait to share this with my uncle. True story. Here we are in France. Philip, age 21, he, he, I've discipled him. He goes and works with an evangelical church planner in northern France in a small town called Lens, L-E-N-S. I'm asking him, hey, do you think that church planners in, I mean, would he be receptive to DMM? This is a 21-year-old negotiating this. He's a junior at UT, University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Through three or, two or three weeks, you know, he's going, yeah, I think he, he wants to know more about this thing. I get on a plane and go. So I go, and we're staying in the back of, it's the Diary of Anne Frank, and we're staying in the back of a coffee shop that's 500 years old. I'm waiting for the Nazis to knock on the door and, and take us. And so we're up there in the back. And, uh, and, and so we're doing this thing, and we go and we engage some people. It just so happens that Lons is one of the six cities in the country of France. It's hosting the 2016 Euro Cup. And so all of a sudden we've got tons of 20,000 people are descending in a place that's no bigger than the size of 20, or my hometown, Lebanon. It's like 25,000 people. So crazy atmosphere, you know, English soccer fans, all this sort of stuff. So we're engaging them. And I just, everybody's like, is that my phone? And uh, so we're engaging them. And we meet this guy named Maxim. Maxim's the same age as Philip. Maxim looks 15. He looks malnourished. We play this thing called Spiteball. I know, it's the greatest. It's, it's ordained by the Lord that it's an access ministry to many people. But anyway, we're going, we're playing this thing called Spiteball. It's like this crazy new American game. We like it, you know, that teach us how to play. We're interviewed by the London Telegraph, French TV, German. Uh, it's just crazy. It was like, what in the world? And um, so Maxim starts playing with us. 
And Philip says, come, come, Maxim, let's, let's have some, come and eat lunch with us. And he's a little hesitant. He speaks no English. Um, he starts calling us brothers, 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 right? So we go, we're at this cafe, and we find that Maxim is Muslim. Actually, we meet him the night before. Yusuf, Mohammed, and Maxim, they come and play. And we say, uh, we're going to do this again tomorrow. And we're like, I wonder who the person of peace is. No Mohammed. No Yusuf, Maxim shows up. I wonder if God's doing something there. So we go and we play. We, <coughs> we, <coughs> sorry. We, uh, it's, I'm telling you, it's hot in here. My eyes are watering. My eyes are sweating. We go and we play. We're eating at the cafe where Philip has been working, volunteering. You can't work there in France. I'm sitting there. He's sitting there. We're asking him about his experience. He's been homeless for six months. Um, Underneath a bridge in Paris, gets kicked out, abused by his parents, gets kicked out, cut by his, cut on his leg by his dad. We ask him, I said, why did you become Muslim? And we're thinking, are you radicalized? What's the deal? And here's what he says. He says, he's communicating. He's actually quite sharp. And he says, I, I want to show you something. He, well, he doesn't say this. This is my French accent. Yeah, I want to show you something. But this is through an interpreter. And he, uh, he shows us his Facebook page. And there is Maxim with Pope Benedict. Just those two. I'm like, well, this is interesting. You're with Pope Benedict and now you're Muslim. Um, walk me through this, right? Basically, what we found out is that he had never met any kind Christians. He couldn't figure out why people would do the Christian thing, right? He read thoughtfully about Islam. And I questioned him about it. I'm like, well, tell me something about Islam. I'm thinking, you know, tell me, do you even know the five pillars? And he did. He was very thoughtful. Very, he, I understood why he made that choice. And then um, I said, so do you like to discover things about God? He goes, oh, yes, very much. And I said, well, would you like to discover something about him now? He goes, oh, oh, oh yes. You know, through the interpreter, yes, it would be very good. So here's Philip, age 20 at the time. Here I am. Here's Maxim at this table. Here's Jacques, who's our translator, who's 22. And he's also living up at the back of the coffee, at the coffee shop with us. He's there working with this church planner. Jacques knows nothing about the DBS as well. And Philip, without batting an eye, not even looking at me, says, Hey, let me tell you something that I've been thankful for from this past week, which actually begins the discovery process, builds community. He says something thankful, do this. He says, let me taste it. And we all share that. And then he does da, 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 da. Goes through the process. Then we open up the word, just as natural as can be. We read Mark 2, 1 through 12. Jesus heals the paralytic. Four guys go out, get the guy. He's paralyzed. Doors blocked. People are so crowded they can't get to Jesus. They say, well, that's not going to stop us, right? We're going to get on top of the roof. Oh, that's not going to stop us. We're going to drill a hole in the roof. Where's the homeowner, right? He drops him, lowers him down, makes a ruckus, it becomes a spectacle, and Jesus says, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law in the front row are ruffling their feathers, you know, they're thinking in their minds, like, who in the world? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus, perceiving that, says, it's a drop your mic moment. I love it. I wish he had a mic, because he would have dropped it and walked right out. And he said, he says, well, just so that you'll know that I'm the Son of Man, which is easier to, to do, forgive him of his sins or to heal him? But just so that you'll know, take your mat and walk. Immediately the guy walks out and everybody, verse 12, everybody, not some, not, not partial, not a few, all of them were praising God, right? Praising God. In that, the question is, what do you discover about God in this passage? 
I, Philip says something, Jacques says something, I say something, Maxim says something. Da, 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 da. Fifth statement out. And here's what Maxim, who's just told us before about Islam. And in that we says, well, tell me about Jesus. Ah, Jesus is very important. He's number two behind Mohammed. Da, da, da. He said, but he is not the son of God. He is not. You know, he wants, he's not hostile towards that. He's just really trying to be emphatic. Like, I, I don't, you know, we don't believe that. Twenty minutes later, here's what comes out of his mouth. In fact, we both say, Jacques, did you interpret that correctly? He goes, and Jacques goes, it's unbelievable. Here's what he says. Jesus equals God. Maxim, Islam, 20 years old, just got through playing spike ball at a cafe, started not by me, but by 21-year-old Philip. That's what millennials like this. It's so natural, it's quick, it's accurate, and people just discover who God is. I didn't teach him that. Philip didn't teach him that. Jacques didn't even know what was going on. He got swept and he goes, are we doing this discovery process? And we said, we are. Let's keep going. <laughs> you know, and, we're going and so Jacques is just you know, swept up. And here's Maxim right there. I just use that one illustration to say it empowers millennials. Well, by the way, before we even came up with who you share this with, here's what Maxim said. Ah, I'm living with my uncle here. He's taking me in. I will tell him about this. And then we said, uh, who will you share this with? It was an awkward question at that point. Right? And that's what's happening with millennials. A 10-year-old, uh, a 50-year-old, an 18-year-old. How old are you? 23, chemistry major. You're going to the ministry. Give that up. Um, that's where. Yes. How's it? How's it like our crazy Christian churches don't know about it? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. Well, you've got the first part. You, you started out well saying crazy. Yeah. Uh, but no. Yeah, do it, do it. Yeah. You know, we, we believe that Jesus did this. Paul did this. We're yeah. finding out that Benedict did it. Yeah. Uh, in this area, we found that uh, Francis Asbury was doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, years for ago. sure. For sure. Uh, St. Patrick was doing it. It's something the church discovers every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't claim to have anything new. Yeah. yeah. We, we claim to have something. Yeah. Radically old. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so let's let's keep keep going. But th- there's more to that. Yeah. So, so this is a process. So a lot of people have this inductive process that's four parts. But the discovery process is a little bit more robust. It's the yeah. most robust thing I've seen, but yet so simple and powerful. It creates community here. It creates, uh, it's looking back and finding commonality among believers and, and hey, I don't know you, you don't know me, but we're both messed up and we can admit that here. Um, then we're looking up to God, hearing from God. And then from here, we're actually obeying, which is the distinctive. It is obeying what you've heard and being accountable and desiring to be accountable in that process. What you got? You've, you've been doing this. Yeah, just, I'm 100% with you on not doing the recipe. Yeah. Uh, it feels a little like uh, we're in the kitchen. We've smelled the cookies. Yes. Um, and they smell it, good. Yeah. How do we get the cookie? Yeah. That is the <laughs> John. <laughs> so so here's what we're gonna do. If you that, that's great, and I'm yeah. glad you've cut to the chase on this. Yeah. So final command has a booth downstairs, and what we're going to do is we're going to do a follow up on October the seventeenth. 
with all interested parties in a follow-up forum for you. It is a follow-up form, so you can get it on. We haven't decided whether it's going to be Go Meeting, but it's going to be where you can just call in if you want to. You don't have to, you know, go be anchored at your desk and that type of thing. You can be on the road listening in, but it's going to be and it's going to be moderated by one of our own team members. All five of us will be there. But uh, Gary, you'll see Gary at our forum. Uh, when is our forum? Is it tomorrow? When we have our forum? When Final Command does that forum, that's where the. Yeah, uh, that'll bless you right there. So our last session, uh, final, and uh, final command, final session. And so we'll be there, and then what we'll do, uh, but you can go and give your information there, and that's what our, that's the next follow-up for you is that, okay, I want to know more about this, and that's what we do. We will come to you. But you can ask your questions right in there. We can follow up. There will be a group of you like, okay, I want to know more about this. Already McKenzie, who's thinking about doing campus ministry in New York City. Uh, and there are church planners up there who are doing this, right? And so, um, and so it's just incredible. Here, here's the thing. Let me bring back the Okoe River and then open this up. I've been down the Okoe, no kidding. Uh, the Okoe River is where 1996, the Olympics, East Tennessee, great whitewater rafting, cold, cold water. Uh, if you've ever been down the Okoe River, uh, they teach you when you fall out of the boat, there's something that they all teach you. Do you know what that is? The whitewater safety, this is whitewater position, right? And so what you do is you don't fight the water. You definitely don't try to stand up because you'll get your ankles wedged in a rock and then the current will throw you down and you'll drown right there. And so, <laughs> pleasant. Uh, but the thing is, you, 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 you go with the water. You lean back. You put your feet downstream, you lean back, and your butt becomes the bumper, and you just flow. You do not fight the river. In fact, you just go where the river takes you. And everything that I've, my experience, and I think even our, our experience, and, and this is this, is that this has nothing to do with final command at all. This is a work of God. He is doing this among people groups at His pleasure to bring people to Himself. And just when legislation is turning nasty towards the church and we are being more persecuted and will be even more persecuted as the years go on, God is already setting this up in this generation to go, oh, calm down, I've got this. When in New York City, when you can't even rent a space the size of this room, I mean, if we were all tithing, you know, and we, we couldn't afford a space even the size of the room, it's just astronomical. God says, oh. I've got this. It's called discovery. You can meet in the apartment anywhere you want to. And you don't have to have this wise old sage of a discipler. Now, I'm about multi-generational. I am. I'm not speaking against that. But what we're just saying is is that God's Word, this is our underlying premise at Final Command. And this is, you'll be quick to go, amen, brother, yes, amen. But be careful because this has huge repercussions and paradigm shifts embedded in it. We believe that the Word of God, illuminated by the Spirit of God, the next two words are important, is enough to produce the people of God. Because we've seen God alone. It's Isaiah 55:11. When my Word goes forth, it will not return void or empty, but it will accomplish the things for which I've sent it. I've known that, you've known that, but I've never known it as a promise, and I've seen it. When God's Word gets with His people and I back out of the way, filter teacher, filter pastor, I'm a filter, 
And when I see God do what He does and says, watch me, let me discover. Here's the other thing. In a room like this, we would regularly have, ten, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten visitors every Sunday at Long Hollow coming through. And there would be people who were scared to death. They've never even owned a Bible. They'd come in. They'd be a part of this community and stuff. And they're the people who've grown up, the sons and daughters of the deacons, right? Right in there. Oh, here's what I've discovered. Here's what I've discovered. It's cool. That's great. Awesome. That's good. And then that one little waif of a person will raise their hand again. Well, it seems like to me, this is what, who God is. And from out of their mouth, it will be humbling. And we've just gotten to the point where we just look at each other. And we just It's just that one eye-to-eye go, we know what you're doing, God. You're taking the weakest, the least, and you're reminding all of us who are super churched up that we do not own Him. And He can speak to anyone, anytime, anyplace. And that's what we see over and over and over and over again. You're doing, you've done this with Josh. Tell him about Brandon last week, 17 year old. Yeah, so we do this at my church. Uh, he's 17 years old, senior in high school. Uh, pretty new believer. Um, so he actually led his first DBS uh, last Wednesday. And then my buddy, the other guy that I discipled, big believer as well. Um, just a total fear of people and doing anything in front of anybody, leading any, any sort of thing. He did the Discovery Bible study successfully did it so I think that's that's just speaks volumes about how powerful something so simple really is more questions yeah for me or for Price either one yeah. okay I'm going to sound like a real jerk so no. I need an umbrella yeah, yeah. I've traveled hundreds of miles to hear a very good and compelling story of, of something that y'all are discovering that's, that's changing and now I'm going to go back hundreds of miles away. I got nothing to do after this final session. I'd be happy to meet with you. I got a caffeine. I can stay up. We'd be happy to meet you. Yeah, at the booth, we'll meet why, you. Why do I need to wait? I mean, why can't we? We've got three other sessions. Why are we? If this is so powerful, why are we waiting weeks when we've already traveled this way? I mean, help me understand that. Okay, can I throw in here? Or John, I'm also yeah. willing to stay after the final session. We'll just do one tonight. Okay. And that's, uh, listen, uh, I'm all for that. We're just trapped inside the confines of our one hour and 15 minutes with 40 people. And, um, and so, uh, my, my, we're all for, we'll, we'll meet you whenever, however. It doesn't make any difference. Church, we'll go to Starbucks or yeah, yeah. So, or, 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 but what, but, or we will come, we raise our own funds so that we can come to you. And so, uh, that's, that's part of the thing is that we, we want that, that's just a follow up forum that we're doing on the 17th so that we can say, all right, when can we line up to come to you? It could be tonight. It's fine with me. If, you know, if it were me, we'd have all the sessions all the time, but you know, John knows that as well. Um, I'm, I'm kind of that person's like, oh, if you'll give us this much, I'll take this much. Um, John, you want to weigh in on anything? John's our global coach. John, stick your head in. He's a. I have an 8:15 session in the morning. I don't want to give everything away. I want okay. That. Yeah. So you're going to hear more from him, and then. Yeah, and you're going to hear more from him, and then Gary Jennings is going to do paradigm shifts 
that churches will have to overcome to, to, to do this. All right. Um, want to be good with our time. Can I just pray for you? Can I do that? All right. Um, God, um, we're constantly trying to put you in a box, even time. And so, God, would you just provide opportunity for us to meet and uh, for us to align up appointments and and meetings and would you make all those things happen? And God, we're just grateful. Uh, we're grateful, God, because this is the story of you and you have swept us up into your story. This is the story of your glory and your fame. This is the story of how you're constantly redeeming us, ordinary people, and how you're just you're displaying, you're showcasing yourself right in front of our faces, just like Moses in the burning bush, and you're you're flaming right before us, God. And so we want to take off our shoes and say, this is holy ground and we love you, Jesus. Uh, be with us. Um, thank you for the kinship and the, for the friendship, God, and for the grace. Amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum. Thank you.